Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. From Decrypt.co, this is Matthew Aaron. Today on the show, we discuss the thousands of leaked documents showing systematic failings of banks and regulators to stop financial crime. Coming up on the Decrypt Daily. Yo, yo, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the show. Today is Monday, September 21st, 2020, and what a weekend we had. RIP to RBG, the notorious RBG, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, passed away this weekend. We lost a great American and also an empty seat for the Supreme Court. This is the first time since Ronald Reagan has a president been able to nominate and, well, with a Republican Senate, probably could pass that third judge as well. This is going to make a 6-3 to three conservative court. Then on top of that, we had the file dump of over 2,000 leaked documents incriminating banks of being used for money laundering, the drug trade, and terrorism financing. This is huge. This is crazy. What a weekend. But that's why I'm here to talk to you about it. And after I tell you these crypto prices, I'm going to talk to Scott Cipollina all about banks. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talks. And I'm recording this at 2.30 Eastern Standard Time. And with all the news this weekend, we also had a bloodbath. Blood is all over the streets. Red rum, red rum, red rum. And Bitcoin is sitting at $10,410, down 4.9% from last Friday. Ethereum, $341.68, down 11.4% from last Friday. Litecoin, $43.29, down 11%. Chainlink, oh, uh, $870, down 19.1% from last Friday. And XRP, $0.23.1, cent, down 8.3% from last Friday. Total market cap. The total market cap for all the cryptocurrency is $329.9 billion. BTC dominance 58.4%. And I want to remind everybody that 2017 bull market looked a lot like this too. There were big pullbacks. I mean, I saw coins go, and Ethereum was one of them, from $40 to $400 back to $80. From $80 to $500 to $1,200 back to dropping down below $100. I mean, look. These prices in the crypto space are very volatile. I don't want anybody to get discouraged by the price. Keep looking at what people are developing, the tech. I know, just I'm in it for the tech, bro. But keep looking at the tech, keep looking at the future, and keep looking at what people are doing. The price is not indicative of what's being developed. Just always keep that in mind. This is one of those topics that is really big. So. Our conversation went a little bit long today. I'm just doing this conversation with Scott Cipollino, writer for Decrypt and myself, because I think it's that important. Why are we in the crypto space? Why do we care about Bitcoin and DeFi and Ethereum and these protocols and these decentralized things and dApps? And why are we here if it's not to hedge against the current systems or because we are sick and tired of how the banks have been acting for decades, for generations this weekend? 
there's more proof, more gas for the fire, stoking the flames of our discontent with the banking system. Meanwhile, as the banks paint cryptocurrency and Bitcoin as the devil's currency, only drug dealers, pedophiles, and criminals use 2 to 5% of the global GDP is being used through banks for illegal activities. Enjoy this conversation, and I'll see you after the show. Big news broke out of the traditional finance banking industry this weekend. Documents released showing that basically they're money laundering. Can you tell us about this? So what's come out over the weekend is the FinSet files basically show that the global financial system is not doing as much as it could do to protect itself and protect the integrity of the financial system from things like money laundering uh, and fraud and corruption and terrorism financing. What the FinCET files are themselves is basically a series of leaked documents, over 2,000 documents, most of which are SARS. SARS are suspicious activity reports, and those are compiled by banks and other financial institutions, and they get sent to law enforcement um, authorities and to regulators whenever a suspicion arises, essentially, that something is not how it should be, whenever there is a suspicion of, of, of money laundering or fraud or any of the other things that I mentioned. And the findings of the FinCET files are basically that these SARS, these suspicious activity reports, are not as effective as one might assume in protecting the integrity of the financial system. What banks are we talking about specifically? And how much money are we talking about? So the banks that are mentioned in the FinCET file, for starters, there's many. The, the main difference between the FinCET files and other major financial leaks that we've seen in recent years, like the Panama Papers and the Paradise Papers, is that this doesn't just implicate a handful of bad actors that are, by no means am I trying to minimize the findings of the Panama, Panama Papers or anything of that sort, but what the FinCET files have done is show that there is truly a systemic problem within the global financial system as it relates to the reduction of financial crime. So that's what makes it different in terms of how much money. That's very hard to quantify, but the best estimates prior to the publication of the FinCET or the leak of the FinCET files is that anywhere between 2 and 5% of the world's GDP is laundered every year. So we're talking a huge number here in terms of money that is lost out on for illicit reasons. And, we're, and 2 to 5%, I'm, I'm assuming, is in the trillions of dollars. It's a lot of money. It's a, it's, a, it's a hell of a lot of money that we're talking about here, yeah. You said protect against money laundering. They're failing to protect against money laundering. Is it protect against money laundering? Are they failing to protect or are they complicit in money laundering? Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily say complicit. What the SAR regime entails, and obviously this, this differs slightly within different legislative frameworks and different jurisdictions, but the, the crux of what a suspicious activity report is, is that whenever a compliance department in a bank or any other financial institution spots something that is suspicious. Um, and obviously, when, when you work in, say, a compliance department in a bank, you're meant to be trained to, to spot these sort of things. And regulators are meant to make sure that these people are doing these jobs properly. What they're doing is raising concerns that there may be money laundering or any other sort of financial crime taking place. So I wouldn't say necessarily that, that being complicit is the right description. I would say it's a case of the protections that are built into the traditional banking system are failing us. Now, I have to clarify what you meant by that, because in your article, you state at the end of it uh, about the Bank of New York Mellon, one of America's oldest banks was shown to have reportedly wired over $100 million linked to the alleged crypto Ponzi scheme, one coin worth $137 million combined dollars. It seems as though if there is a, if there's a link there to say that they are just saying, oh, I think that this money was laundered, but 
it looks as though that they know that and have evidence that this money is being laundered from these Ponzi schemes or other illicit activities that they know, which doesn't mean just, which sounds like complicit. Sounds like they're turning a blind eye. Yeah. I mean, there's in, in not speaking to any particular instance or example of something that's contained within the FinCET within the FinCEN files themselves. If obviously if, if if a party is aware of illicit funds that are objectively illicit funds and they're they're using those funds, then yes, they're guilty of money laundering or any other financial crime that is relevant to that conversation. But the I think the more salient point here, what the FinCEN files have shown is not just shining a light on the money launderers and the criminals themselves, whoever they may be within any particular example that we can discuss. They're actually showing that the framework that we're meant to rely on, that the good guys are meant to rely on, is just not working. The fact that SARS aren't carrying the weight or the importance that they should be carrying is a more salient problem that actually sort of just overrides the comparison between good and bad actors, if that makes sense. I know that we have to deal with facts. I know that as our jobs, when we spoke about this, me and you, about the, the responsibilities of a journalist is to deal with facts and move with the facts as we see them. But the facts, in my opinion, for banks, and I'm sorry, I'm going slippery slope with this, but I am a little appalled because this is one of those things that we've been saying about banks. We've been saying about money in fiat currency in general, especially in the crypto industry. We've seen the, again, Panama Papers. We've seen HSBC be ca- caught with this exact same thing before. Yeah, um, and, and now we're seeing that it is not only systemic, it seems to be ingrained with the financial system, the global financial system, is, which 2 to 5% of the total global GDP is not a, you know, not a little bit of money. Not at all. It, it, it seems as though that this is just part of the global financial system. Uh, absolutely. I mean, don't 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 get me wrong. I'm not trying to understate. This is a huge story, and in my opinion, this is the most meaningful major financial document dump that we've seen this decade. Uh, you know, P- the Panama Papers is sort of that's that's sort of almost like a household name in journalism now. And while that was huge, and other leaks that have followed since then are also huge, this is the biggest, in my opinion. The reason for that is because it points to the systemic issues of the global financial system. So yes, there are there are parties here that are guilty of of of, of knowing certain things, but that's something that we already knew to a degree. We already knew that there were bad actors in the financial system, and there were and there were entities that facilitated those bad actors. But what this is telling us is that even when there are the best of intentions applied to something. The system isn't working. The system is broken itself. That's what the that's what the systemic problem that the FinCEN files are, are showing to us. And I think that that is in many ways unprecedented compared to the other leaks that we've seen in recent in previous years. Okay, so I have two follow questions to this, and the first one is: How does this affect the average person? Look, this is money that is way above the average person's comprehension. I mean, even a rich person's comprehension, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, But how does this actually affect the average person? When we see that there's a legal activity going on, does it somehow take away from the average person? Does it somehow take away from local economies? Does it somehow take away from the financial systems of like a home country or or different companies or small businesses? How does this actually affect our daily life? Absolutely. So this this is, financial crime is very much a, a victim-centric crime, which is something that, from my own personal perspective, isn't really emphasized enough because people don't see violence connected to something like money laundering. Typically, it's not like as if you're seeing a you know a murder in the street, however horrific that is. People, whenever they read stories like this, they just say, "Well, you know, there's dodgy money in the world, and there's dodgy people profiting off that money. So what?" That's the complete opposite way that we should be looking at this sort of thing. At the end of the day, this is money that 
could be spent on, you know, I mean, the world's in the middle of a global pandemic. There's a shortage of medical supplies. There's, there's, you know, lives are being lost. And some of that could have been helped or could be reverted by us having more money to spend where it's necessary. And if you look at some of the countries implicated in, in, in this massive document drop, you've got some, some of these countries have, you know, systemic poverty. Some of these other countries have, you know, m- major health issues that aren't even related to COVID or that predated COVID. So when you think about the, the struggles of some of the everyday people that live in the countries that are hotbeds of corruption, it, that should really annoy you. That should really show you that, you know, this is indeed a victim-oriented crime and it's something that the world hasn't got its head around. I mean, document leaks like this just prove, attest to the fact that we are not doing a good enough job Anyone that no one's doing a good enough job in terms of policymakers, politicians, governments, law enforcement authorities, or regulators. Nobody's doing a good enough job to stop the curb of this massive flow of illicit money. When we think about the impact on the everyday person, yes, it's huge. I mean, governments lose out because of corruption in certain places. Governments lose out potentially millions and millions and millions of, of, of dollars or of pounds or whatever their currency might be. And that money could have been spent on something far more useful than crime, something that people are in desperate need. As I said, we're in the middle of a pandemic um, and people are in desperate need of support from their government and a helping hand in one way or another. And whenever something like this happens, it reminds us that the world is being robbed of a good chunk of its wealth that should be used for the betterment of mankind. I know that sounds a little bit sort of cliche, but at the end of the day, that's the case. This is money that's being stolen from good people and being used to line the pockets of bad people. And it's an injustice. The betterment of mankind never sounds cliche. I think we most all should be thinking about more so the betterment of mankind. And it's not cliche. We should be talking about that more. You yeah. said something in that is that should annoy you. And I, I want to I take that I want to look at that statement. That should annoy you. What can we do? What can be done? This seems as though this system is created by people that have learned how to use the system and continue to use the system that which they created. What can we do? The first thing is, you know, we should hold public officials to account. We should hold the banking system to account. And we should make sure that those who are either explicitly party to this system or that implicitly facilitate this even you know with, with, without the intention being there we have to make sure that you know those holes are plugged and one of the things that going back to this the phrase you know this should annoy you one of the things that really annoys me is the fact that regulators are often very toothless in this in this world and they don't provide enough of a defense as they should do when it comes to plugging financial crime across the world so if you look at certain regulators around the world you'll note that they'll spend and i mentioned this in the article they'll they'll look and not just regulators to be fair we're also talking about policymakers and 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 politicians themselves they'll spend a lot of time looking at reputational risk to their jurisdiction banks do this too by the way this is also part and parcel of the private sector but the private sector you can to some degree expect that more so than than the public sector you're looking at reputational risk insofar as you're asking what can we do to make sure that our jurisdiction is a more valuable place or a more appealing place for for investors to come and spend their money here and that kind of thinking is usually one of the chief motivators to reducing financial crime i don't know if, if you can see where i'm going with this yet but basically to me that just sounds insane it shouldn't be the motivator to reducing financial crime that you just want to be improving the reputation of your jurisdiction. It should be an end in itself to want to reduce financial crime. It shouldn't be, well, if we reduce financial crime, we'll be a more attractive place for investment, which will better our economy. It should be, this is immoral. This is a bad thing that's harming real people. And we should stop it as an end in itself. And I think that, as I said, policymakers and politicians and regulators are not clocked onto that sufficiently. And 
that just speaks to the culture of people that work in this in, in, in these fields and that needs to change and that should change from the ground up we should be demanding a change of culture and a change of thinking for the people that are actually are the relevant stakeholders in this sort of field and people that can do something about it as we're a crypto show we have to touch on the crypto aspect of this i am pissed about this article about this news i mean honestly it was a horrible weekend rbg died and now this article comes out i'm just really mad i'm ready to just just go crazy um but how does bitcoin cryptocurrency fall into a solution or an exasperation of the problem that it's an interesting debate because obviously what you'll what you'll hear is that the crypto industry is is so unique in comparison to the traditional financial system insofar as based on blockchain technology we're, we're, we're developing we're in the business of, de of developing a, a a trustless network and a trustless environment where transactions are transparent they're all available on a public ledger for everybody to see and while that all might be true it's not the case that the crypto industry is just audience to what's come out over the weekend there are at least a couple of areas that I've that I discussed in my article one being um Mazes Financial Services so what this what this company is is basically an online payment processing company and they allegedly serve clients involved in the infamous bitcoin e money laundering ring they're mentioned in 36 suspicious act activity reports that have that are, that are part and parcel of the fincen files in addition to that there is also the story of the bank of new york mellon which is one of america's oldest banks um so reportedly, again, in the FinCEN files, they are reported to have allegedly wired over $100 million to an alleged crypto Ponzi scheme, OneCoin. So it's not like the crypto world is you know, immune to these sorts of issues. Corruption and money laundering, unfortunately, penetrate the crypto industry just as much as they as penetrates the, tra the traditional financial system. Scott, this is an ongoing problem, and I hope that uh, here on the Decrypt Daily and with Decrypt.co, we can help. Uh, and do our part to not only uncover, report on it, and be that what you just said, the grassroots from the ground up to help make changes. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you, Matt. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Decrypt Daily. My name is Matthew Aaron, and you can reach out to me at MatthewAaron at DecryptMedia.com or MatthewAaron at Decrypt.co. Don't forget to go to Apple Podcasts, rate us, subscribe, and leave us a comment. It helps us stay relevant. <laughs> It really does help people find this podcast, and especially if you share it with your friends. Thank you, and I'll see you tomorrow. Happy hodling, everybody.